I want to uh, I want to thank you all of you who are praying for my wife. Thank you for uh, lifting her up every week. Pastor Kathy and I have been uh, fighting a physical battle for her that's been quite extensive, and uh, we uh, had some doctor's appointments this week. We have some more things coming up in the next week and 10 days. So thank you for praying for her. She uh, is here as her strength allows her to be and her pain level allows her to be. So thank you for praying for her. We believe God is our answer and that healing is hers and the covenant we have with Jesus. Amen. So thank you for doing that. I love you, baby. I know you're at home watching me and I am lit. I am good looking. Thank you. I promise that the ushers will lead me out so nobody attacks me today. Praise the Lord. I ran from her as long as I could, and then she finally caught me, so praise the Lord. <laughs> there should be on your seat somewhere one of these cards right here. Uh, Cole and Kelsey just talked about them, but it's called Family Circus. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because you might be sitting next to your wife or husband and you don't want them to know you think that. But how many of you know sometimes family life can just be a big circus? And it can not only be in our homes, but how many of you know it can be in the church? And if we're honest, how many of you know it really is in the world right now? And so we're starting this week our unhindered groups, and they're built around this theme, is that life was meant to be done together. Even though life's a circus, how many of you know there is a ringmaster? His name is Jesus. He can calm the he can he can cause the lions to be still and quit roaring. He can make the trapeze acts come off when they need to come off. Come on, somebody! And even the crazy woman that's in the center screen that's uh, all distorted. How many of you know he can make that make sense if it needs to be? So I'm encouraging you. If you're not a part, listen. If you're not a part of an unhindered group, you're missing one of the key ways to be connected to the life of the gate. There's two ways that we ask people to get connected. So, you know, people come and they say, well, this is a big church. I don't get to know anybody. Let me help you with that. How many of you know the way you get to know people? Is, I'm just breathing all insecurity. We make it as easy as we can. A lot of the groups are Zoom groups. Some groups meet in person. Most of them are Zoom groups. So you don't have to go to somebody's house. You can actually write at home on your phone, on a computer, participate. But you get to know people. Kathy and I host an unhindered group. We believe that much in what's going on. Last year, when we hosted in the spring, excuse me, we hosted our unhindered group, we had people that didn't know each other. They've been attending church here for five, six, seven years together and didn't even know each other. But by the time we finished five, six, seven weeks, they were meeting up, talking to each other, and today they're great friends. So there's two ways you get connected. One is you get in a small group. That's one of the ways you get connected to the life of a church. Second way is you join a serve team. We believe everybody's life was meant to be given away. So next week, we'll talk about how you get to be a part of a serve team. Everybody, there's a place for everybody here to serve. You say, well, I don't, I don't want to usher or be a part of the host teams or I can't work in the parking lot. Well, there's other places you can serve and help. And we want you to be a part of that. So we're going to do that next Sunday. It's going to be a great time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you, all of you that are online. One more time, would you give all of our online guests today and our members, we love you. We're so grateful that you're a part today. We have people joining us from all over the Oklahoma City region and across the nation. I think it was two weeks ago they gave me a report. We had people in, in our live service that joined us from 14 different nations. So today we've got people from everywhere. Actually, we've got people that have become members of the gate that live in other states. This is their church now because God is using our 
online platform to touch their life. We're grateful for that. We don't see that as something that just is an appendage that's stuck on the side. We actually see our online platform as a means for us to reach people for Jesus, disciple them, and build them up in the most holy faith. Amen? So for all of you that... Now, how many of you know online platforms are really not meant for people that live uh, 300 yards from the church? If you, if you live two miles down the road, get up out your pajamas and be among the saints. But we do believe that God's using it in an incredible way. And I'm, please don't take me offensively. I'm just saying that God is using every means available today to reach people. And there's something important about being together in God's kingdom. So this fall, as we re-engage... We, we're going to study in, in Unhindered. We're going to study. There's 50 times in the New Testament that the term one another is used. We're not going to study all 50 of them. We're going to study 10 of them and focus on them in our Unhindered times. I want to begin today a series of messages called Unsinkable. Now, how many of you know the last time that was said, it didn't turn out too well? It was when the Titanic was launched. That was the only time that a ship had ever been built that its builders declared it's unsinkable. But I want to begin a series of messages today because I believe with all of my heart that we're experiencing probably some of the most epic storms that we've ever seen in our culture. Families are facing them. It's, it's, it's storms that have come that are putting un, unusual pre, uh, pressure and stress on people's lives. And one of the things that I want to share over the next four weeks, we're going to take, it's going to take four weeks in this series, is I want to talk to you about some things that if you establish them in your life, this is how you keep from being unsinkable. I mean, if you know, it doesn't matter how big the waves are, as long as the water stays outside the boat. You can't sink it until the water gets in it. And there's certain things we do that keep all the storms outside of us. You may be in a storm, but you don't have to be living in all kinds of unusual anxiety and stress and overwhelmed. You can still have peace that passes all understanding. Am I talking to anybody in the room today? As I begin to launch this today, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to use this moment. And I want to, you know, sometimes we get requests quite often. People say, you know, I'm, I'm of another generation. Why don't you sing our songs? And I'm a boomer. And then there's some builders here that, from the generation that actually are in their 80s and close to 90. And then, of course, there's some Gen Xers here that are in their 40s and 50s. They're beginning to turn gray or turn loose. But how many of you know that the world somehow is sort of made believe that the millennials are the only ones that have fun? If I got any, if I got any 40 and 50 year olds in here that believe you have fun, let me let me hear you. I want to I want to give some love to our boomers today. Can I give a little bit of love to our boomers today? Because we love we love all of our boomers. We thank God for them. This is a multi generational church. We thank God for them. In fact, we got we got all kinds of things. We got we, we're multicultural. We're multi generational. Today we've got several pastors that are in the building. Why don't one of our, our guest pastors and people from network churches that are here today from Florida? Why don't I, I know pastors are here? Why don't our pastors stand up and let let us just welcome all of our pastors and network churches that are here today? 
Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. We're glad you're here today. So how many of you remember? Let me let me go back to the boomers for a minute. I want to. I, I, I'm going to need your help now. If you if you remember this, I'm going to need to hear from you. How many of you remember that back in our day, all the really good TV programs came on in pairs? They'd come on like one behind the other. Let me let me see. I don't know how many of you remember any of them. How, how many of you can remember the Love Boat and Fantasy Island? The plane, the plane. All right, let's try it again. How, how many of you can remember uh, Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley? Huh? Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman. Woo! How many of you remember A-Team? We had to knock Mr. T out. Mr. T, he had like a starter kit of a gold mine on his, on his chest. Come on, let me know. How many of you, one of them didn't have to be connected to anything else. I, my mama wouldn't let me really watch it a lot. It's called Charlie's Angels. I've got a few people. That was like the forerunner to Baywatch. Yeah, I never saw that. I believe you can be saved, but I'm not sure. Huh? But the one thing, the one thing, listen, the one thing about all of those TV programs. Now, all of my young people, you're going to have to bear with me for a minute. I'm going to say something that you probably don't know anything about. But all, the one thing that is common about all of those TV shows is you had to be there when they were on. If it came on on Thursday night at 8 o'clock, you had to be home Thursday night at 8 o'clock. If not, you had to wait for years until it became reruns or to summertime. Huh? Because if you missed it, you missed it. You had to be there. And what happens today is how many of you know people don't even care what time it is because they now can get it on what's called on. I need more help. It's called on demand. So if you want to watch a movie, it doesn't have to have the time that's convenient for, you, for, for, the, for the theater. You can watch it on demand. If you didn't get to see your TV program, you can put it on your DVR or you can actually go on your system and you can just go find it on demand. The problem is, is that our on demand culture has slipped into our spiritual relationship and we have created an on-demand God. And I want to talk through some things that I believe are very significant because here's what happens. We end up with a distorted view of who God really is. We begin to make God something He's not. And particularly when storms come, people begin to ask all kinds of questions. You know, as a pastor, I get surveys all the time of people that, you know, and the surveys normally go like this, churched, unchurched, dechurched, and then there's a group called none. 15 years ago, 20 years ago in Oklahoma City, the group called none would have been about 3%. Today, 
it's almost 20%. And in that group, that means one out of every five people say, I have no interest in the things of God at all. No, no none. I have none. None. I don't, it's not I don't, I don't even go Christmas and Easter. I'm a, I'm a none. None. Not, not a N-U-N. That'd be totally different. These are N-O-N-E. None. But in that group, and even in the group that are de-churched, and people that are unchurched, they believe in God, but they're not in church. The prevailing thing when asked why, they say something like this. I would believe in God, but why did he fill in the blank? Why did he let my mama die when I was a teenager? Why? I'd believe in God, but if there was God, why would we have all these wars? If there was a God and he was so powerful, why didn't he stop this pandemic? Why did God let my marriage end up in a divorce? God knew how much I wanted a child. Why do we keep having miscarriages? I would believe in God, but I don't understand Him. And I think most often, ladies and gentlemen, the reality is, is that people are not turned off to God. They're turned off to a misconstrued concept of who He might be. Please let me just lay a foundation for everything that I'm going to talk about. We exist to serve God. God does not exist to serve us. I'm going to try that one more time. We exist to serve God. We are the creation. He is the creator. It was for His pleasure that we were created. I'm the clay. He is the potter. So we exist to serve God. God does not exist to serve me. He's not a cosmic Santa Claus or a spiritual rabbit's foot that comes to my demands. I learn to walk with him. So I want to begin today by looking at a story that everybody in the room, if you've ever been around church at all or been to a Christian daycare somewhere along the line, this story's come up in your life. But I want to show you some things out of it that I believe are very, very important. And I want you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to read one verse. Genesis chapter 6. If you know anything about the book of Genesis, you know that Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 all deal primarily with what we would call the flood. Noah and the ark and the flood. Genesis chapter 6, verse number 8 says this. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Say that with me out loud. But Noah 
Say it one more time. Father, I pray over these next few minutes that you'll use my words, my thoughts to articulate the heart of God. Speak to us today. Lord, we need to hear a word from heaven. So I ask you to use my voice to articulate what it is you want to say to us. May we be changed and transformed. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It's important to understand the background for that verse. Because everything around it begins to give us a picture of what was happening. In verse 5 and 6, here's what it says. It says, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Let me, let me say that one more time. The Lord saw that the wickedness of who? Man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That means God saw that people were acting out of their fallen nature. Verse number 13 and 14 says this, And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come up before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. So here we are. Get the picture. In the Bible, the, the, the Bible's got metaphors and symbols and pictures to denote certain things that happen. And in the Bible, one of the things that we always see through from, from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible is that where raging waters are taking place, we know there's some kind of evil activity and some kind of destruction and pattern of destroying that's trying to take place. It's, it's, it's instituted and instigated from the forces of hell. In fact, the Bible begins in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And by we get time, time we get to verse number 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face, and the waters covered the face of the deep. All of a sudden, God's creation has come under this cover of dark water. To let us understand that somewhere between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, there's something that happened in the creative order that sent it into chaos and sent it into dysfunction because God doesn't create anything that isn't perfect in its creation. He didn't create it dysfunctional. He didn't create it a mess. But it became a mess. And the indication is we know that is because the waters covered the deep. Time we get to Genesis 6, now we got raging waters again. How many of you know when you get all the way into the New Testament, when the enemy would try to come against Jesus and his disciples, oftentimes it would be while they were on the lake, and suddenly there'd come a storm, and the winds and the waves would begin to blow, and Jesus would stand up and say, peace be still. He would take authority over those elements because he recognized that they were a work or an attack of the enemy that was trying to destroy God's creation. So when we come to the book of Genesis, we have to recognize that every time we see raging waters, the Bible's trying to tell us that God is trying to bring into order something that is dysfunctional because he has authority. In fact, the people said of Jesus, who is this man that these winds and waves obey him? Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going, if you give me just a couple of minutes, I'm going to probably delve deep and I'm going to bring you back to something that's very, 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 very applicable. But how many of you recognize God didn't create the earth to have tornadoes? Yes, sir. 
I'm not gotten any help. He didn't create the earth to have hurricanes. Before the fall of man, none of that happened. He didn't even create the earth to have weeds in your garden. Rose bushes didn't have thorns. Come on, read your Bible. None of that came until after man refused God's ways and chose his own ways. And when man chose his own ways, he released certain things to happen in the systems of the earth. Notice the terms that the writer uses in Genesis. He said the wickedness of man was great in the earth. In other words, man had embraced sin. He had embraced his own way rather than God's way. And he separated himself from the way of God. The other thing he says is that every intent and his thoughts were evil. Meaning this, it meant that, please don't miss this, it meant that man had allied his resource to the dark side rather than allying himself with the, with the light side. He joined himself to the forces of evil rather than joining to the forces of righteousness. Man made a decision. When God created you and I, he created us in his likeness and in his image. One of the things that makes us like God is that we have the ability to choose. We have volition. How many of you know God has a will? We talk about it quite often. Let's pray for the will of God. Let's pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we understand God has a will. Guess what? When he made you, he created you with a will. And here's what happens. God is not removed from our life, but God does certain restrictions to his own power. And here's what it is. God will let you be crazy if you want to be. I ain't got no help. I'm going to talk over here. God will let you play the fool if you want to. Because he made you with a will. He shows you a better way, but then he says, it's your choice. You get to make a choice. He appeals to us out of his goodness. But in that appeal, we have to make a choice. So guess what? I can, I can go down the slide that leads me into a downward spiral of darkness. Or I can begin to ascend to the hill of the Lord. But it has to do with how I make choices and what I do. And the things that I choose. Because I was made in the image and likeness of God. And so when it says that every intent and thought of his heart was evil. It says this that he was sitting at home constantly thinking up ways to not do it God's way let me make that 2020 he was sitting at home going how much can I get by with and not go to hell how much can I do that feeds my carnal side and not upset God. Problem is, when you go into that room, how many of you know the appetites get greater than your, than your mind? Ain't, ain't nobody going to talk to me, but how many of you know your, your heart's been telling you you don't need to eat that, but you go on and eat anyway because it's a fresh donut from Krispy Kreme. And, you know, Krispy Kreme, one of the things I would like to do before I die is just get on the belt and go under the glaze. I want to go, ah, just under the glaze. I, 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 
I'm not wearing my Air Jordans though because they're too expensive. But anyway, I'm going to get, I want to go under the glaze and just say for the glory of the Lord. But how many of you know that's not good for me? How many of you know there are certain things that, that, that you're a married man or you're a married woman and somebody at work starts flirting and your, your heart goes, you better not go there, but your appetites overtake your thinking and, and you end up thinking with some stuff that's not really right and you go, oh, oh, and next thing you know, you find yourself in a room you can't control. Well, what happened is they were sitting around continually thinking, how can I do all the stuff that will feed my appetites, feed my carnal nature, and not paying attention to God? Hmm? And so here's what God said about all of it. He said, the end of all flesh has come up before me. In other words, here's God. God said, I made an observation of how man is acting. If you're home, watch this closely. He said, I paid attention to the choices they're making. And the end of that road is destruction. The choices, and see, you say, well, why didn't God do something? Because God said, I've restricted myself to let my creation operate in what I created them to be. I made them in my image and in my likeness. I gave man to be the federal head. That's a big theological word. I made him to be the federal head over all of mankind. I gave him dominion over everything that creeps on the earth. So if he chooses to turn his garden into a weed pit, is this okay? Can I keep going? So all of a sudden, God says, the end of all flesh has come up before me. You say, is that in the Bible anywhere else? Well, let me show it to you. Psalms 115, verse number 16. I'm going to show it to you in the Passion Translation. Can you put that on the screen? The heavens belong to our God. They are his alone. But he has given us the earth and put us in charge. Let me tell you what that means. That means what happens in heaven is up to God. What happens in Oklahoma City is up to us. I'm going to try that over here. What happens in heaven is up to God. What happens in your house is up to you. Hmm? Because you and I have been given dominion and we've been given authority and we've been empowered to operate according to the principles and the ways of God. Am I doing okay? See, sometimes we want to say, I wish this whole mess would stop. God says, that whole mess will stop when you stop. The craziness will stop. Help me preach, Thomas. Talk to the people in the back. That's it. Glory. Listen, how many of you know that oftentimes in my life, I don't even need a devil? The devil didn't get me in credit card debt. Oh, the spirit of debt has gone. Ain't no spirit of debt. There ain't no spirit of debt. There is an attitude of undisciplined spending. You can't send no money to a Christian television station and it be destroyed in a day. 
God, I feel like preaching today. So what happens in the earth is up to us. We receive God's goodness. We receive God's character. We receive God's life. But we can reject his ways and choose our own thoughts. So here's what happened. The earth was headed down a downward spiral into a place of total destruction. And God said, I've got to find somebody in the earth. There's got to be somebody in the earth that still believes me. There's got to be in 2020 somebody still in America that has not drank the Kool-Aid that still believes there's a God in heaven and that he has going to reveal his glory in this generation. And the Bible says that that man in the book of Genesis was a man named Noah. Noah. Next week I'll talk about what his name meant. Noah began to believe God when it looked like it was impossible to believe God. Nobody else was believing God. You say, well, nobody in my family believes like I do. Well, praise the Lord. You may be the ark builder. You may be the very one that saves the whole household. As long as you don't get on the dark side and start drinking the Kool-Aid and believing the foolishness. You may be the very one that God's going to use to save a whole generation and begin a whole new day in your house. I wish somebody would help me. You may be the very one who finds grace in the middle of the storm. How many of you, am I doing okay? Can I keep going? How many of you recognize the word grace? Everybody shout grace. Grace. We talk about grace, about saving grace. But sure, I'm saved by grace. Listen, there's saving grace. But how many of you know there's also sustaining grace? Huh? There's enabling grace that empowers you. Most people get saved by grace and then try to live out their life on their own power. Grace means this. God is giving me his ability to please him. You take that all the way to the New Testament, it's this. It's Jesus giving me his ability to please the Father. That's why Paul said it this way. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. That means when I don't have any faith, Jesus still does. When I don't have any strength, Jesus still has strength. When I don't have any wisdom, Jesus still has wisdom. So how many of you know he gives me his ability to please the Father and to carry out his plans and his purposes? He empowers me to do what I could not do on my own. He gives me his strength, his peace, his wisdom. Hallelujah. He lets me understand that everything I lack, he is full of. And so that I can, when I'm my weakest, I can become my strongest. That's why, oh, I'm going to keep on preaching. That's why he keeps saying to people, let the weak say, I am strong. Don't you misinterpret these tears and think they're weakness. Because in my weakness, his grace is more than sufficient for my life. Noah, here's the key word, found grace. The word found there means to search with scrutiny. To search with a thorough examination. 
Hebrews says it this way, Hebrews chapter 4. He says, we come boldly to the throne of grace, watch this, that you may obtain mercy and find grace in the hour of need. How many of you know mercy is a gift? Nobody else can give you the mercy you need. Only God can. And he says, you come to me and you obtain mercy. But you also come to me to help me let you navigate how to find grace. 2008, I was laying in a hospital, dying. Never been sick before in my life, never been in a hospital. And I'm laying in the hospital room and I get out of the intensive care and finally get in a room thinking I'm going home. And uh, the first test they take doesn't pass. And the doctor tells me it's going to be five more days before we take another test. And I'm like, man, I get my faith up five more days. Oh, glory. Got, I, I can do anything for five days. So I got my faith up. I was, I was talking to myself. And I, I even wrote, uh, and um, it was, I, had a, I had a hole in my esophagus and everything I'd been eating was dumping into my body cavity. I'd become septic. And, and uh, they said the hole hadn't closed yet. We can't let you go. So I'd been about 15 days at that point in time, no water, no food, no nothing. Nothing had been in my, in my body at all. They'd just been feeding me intravenously. And uh, I miss a lot of things, but lunch ain't normally one of them. And I'm like, okay, this, I'm done with this. I mean, I realize this is keeping me alive, but it really is not very tasty. So I, I, got, I felt like I got a word. Signed, sealed, delivered. <laughs> People come in the hospital, how you doing? You know, the visitors that would come, how you doing? I'm doing it. I'm signed, sealed, delivered. It's, my, my, my hold is sealed up. It's signed, it's delivered. They came in the next five days later for my test. They took me down to the, to the room, getting ready to do the pictures. And the, the man knew I'd already been three times previously. And he was like, I'm not supposed to tell you. But he said, sir, it's not closed. And I felt like life drained out of me. I thought, God, I can't take no more of this. I thought I had a word. Yeah, yeah. I heard you kept saying to me, I'd live and not die and declare the marvelous works of God. I can't live like this. I got back in my bed and I didn't want to see anybody and Kathy kept everybody out of their room. I was, I was irritable and nobody here's ever been like that. <laughs> and I'm laying in the bed, tubes and everything all everywhere. And the Holy Spirit said to me, you're going to have to learn to find grace in this moment. I'm going to get you through this storm. You're not going to sink if you find grace. And I had to learn. And what happened is, see, sometimes grace comes through people. And somebody walked in my room who was a nurse and said to me, I've been watching you on television. I know who you are. I didn't know her at all. Didn't know she knew who I was. And she said, I was off this weekend, but I've not ate a drop of food for you. And when she said that, she walked over to my bed, a nurse, 
registered nurse. It was the head of the floor. She laid hands on me and started praying in tongues. All the nurses came in. I think they thought something was happening. But here's what I want to say to you. When she started praying, my condition didn't change. But God said to me, she's your point of grace. Francis Pike walked in right after that and said, let's sing. She started singing. God said, that's your point of grace. The point of grace was not the doctors working on me. The point of grace was not the technicians. They were a blessing. But I had to find empowerment. I had to find strength from somewhere that would help me in the middle of my storm. Because you have to learn to find grace. And Noah said the whole world's spinning out of control. Everything's in a downward spiral. Listen, if you keep watching CNN and Fox News and ABC and CBS and NBC, you're going to spiral out of control. Because I guarantee you, you will not find grace there. But what you have to do is you have to, first of all, go to your covenant and say, God, I believe I have a word from you. And then once you find what your covenant says, you got to hang out with some people that when you're around them, they speak life to you. They they speak strength to you and they enable you to get up when you don't feel like getting up on your own. You've got to find grace. And Noah said, I found it in the eyes of the Lord. Three things, write these down and I'm done. What happens when you find grace? First thing is you understand that the heart of God is always loving. The heart of God is always loving. How many, how many parents are in the room? Hold your hand up if you're a parent. If you're online, hold your hand up. I see you. Hold your hand up. How many of you know? Let me, let me, there's two things I know about you. If you're a parent, there's two things I know about you. First of all, you always love your kids. Now, you may not always like them. You may sometimes wish you could trade them in. But how many of you know you always love them? You'd give up yourself for them. Second thing I know about you is this. If you're a parent, I can guarantee you, you don't always do what they want you to do, even though you have the power to do it. If you do, we need to have a parenting class. I mean, you know, if you, if you tell Johnny, Johnny, you got to take your lunch, take your lunch, take your lunch. And four or five days in a row, Johnny forgets his lunch and he keeps calling from school saying, Mama, bring me my lunch. I mean, you know, the answer is no. No. You go hungry today and tomorrow you won't forget your lunch. Hmm? My dad, my dad had this thing about keys. If you talk to me today, talk to my wife today. I don't lose keys. I, I, I go check my keys before I go to bed at night. And that's because my dad, I, one time I got my first car and I lost my keys. He found them. And he said, how's that car run without keys? I said, man, it doesn't run at all. He said, I'm telling you, I hope you find them. Come find out he'd hit them. And he held it out of his pocket one day and he said, listen, you need to learn how to take care of what's valuable. If you want to go somewhere, this key is important for you going somewhere. Don't lose this key. I ain't, I ain't, I'm, I, that's been 60 years ago. I ain't never forgot that to this day. Hmm? Why? Because sometimes parents don't always do what, what their children want them to do, even though it's in their power to do it. 
Ah, somebody help me. How many of you know that there's also times when we think God don't love us because he's not doing what I need him to do? Here's what Paul said in Romans 8, 35-39. He said, who can separate me from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword? Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. I want some persuasion in here today. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, pandemics, uprisings, elections, nothing shall separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So even if God's not doing what I think God ought to be doing, I'm still not separated from his love. And in every flood, God will always be reaching towards me with his love. And his love will be giving me a way of escape. I may not take it. If I don't take it, his love is still going to be there for me. How many of you glad that when you got off at the wrong exit, God didn't quit loving you. He kept on loving you even when you were not loving him. Have I got anybody that can witness in the building? Here's the key, though. If we're in something that's trying to sink us, we've got to learn to pay attention. Because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 that by faith Noah, being warned of things to come, began to act. I want to ask you a question. What things has God been warning you about? If you keep down that path, it's going to be destructive. Noah built an ark when it had never rained. In fact, he had never seen rain. Nobody on the earth had ever experienced rain. But God told him, the earth is going to continue down this pathway, and the end of this pathway is destruction. But I'm going to give you a way of escape. I'm going to teach you how to be unsinkable. Even when the whole world looks like it's sinking, I'm going to teach you how to be unsinkable. Because I'm going to warn you and show you what to do. How many of you know there are things that are destructive to our lives? Attitudes, associations. No, I'm going to I'm, hold on a minute. How many of you recognize that, 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 that sometimes I know you love Boo Boo and I know you love Brenda and, and I know that those people are wonderful, but God may have removed them from your life, not, not because they were meant to be in your life. You were just attracted to them because they were appealing to a certain side of you that was really not healthy. And if you kept on in that relationship, it would have become more and more destructive. Come on, somebody help me. I was talking like yesterday with some friends and we were talking about a person who was in a relationship that they even tried to get back together. It was bad. It wasn't right. It wasn't good from the beginning. And they tried to make it work. And within, within seven days, it was all kinds of craziness going on. And police called and somebody had to say, this is an unhealthy relationship. How many of you know, listen to me closely. How many of you know when you don't choose God's ways, you end up letting your life spiral out of direction? 
So that brings me to my second thing. When you find grace, you begin to understand this, that his thoughts are always higher than my thoughts. How many of you know what God knows is more than and better than what I think? I think a lot of things, but God knows things. Isaiah said it this way, Isaiah 55, 9. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. His thoughts are always revealed in his word, ladies and gentlemen. God was saying to Noah, as long as man continues to reject my ways, my thoughts, my life, they'll continue to spiral downward. In fact, hold on to your seat, I'm almost finished. Romans chapter 1, Paul says something that's just astounding to the New Testament church. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, I'm going to read then verse 22 through 28 real quickly. Paul says, here's what happens to people who reject God's counsel. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed. I grew up in a church, we talked about the wrath of God all the time. I mean, if you, if you, if you miss Sunday school, the wrath of God was coming. I lived my life afraid of the wrath of God. God was this big guy with a baseball bat, ready to bat somebody upset inside the head every time they did something wrong, and I was constantly doing something wrong. Hmm? You say, well, you not believe there's wrath? Yeah, I do. Let me tell you how I believe it operates according to Paul. He said, the wrath of God is revealed to heaven against all, go- all ungodliness and unrighteousness to men. He said, here's who it's revealed against. It's revealed against those who suppress the truth. Professing to be wise, they become fools. They change the glory of an incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man. In other words, they try to make God like their friend. They try to make God look like he thinks like a man thinks. I'm helping today. God is not a man. He's not even the smartest man. How many of you know God's smarter than Einstein? Steve Jobs. He said, here's what happens. When you change an incorruptible God into the form of a corruptible man, you begin to cause the wrath of God to be released in your life. He said, therefore, verse 24, therefore, God gave them up. Whoa, there's that statement. God stepped back into his restricted place. He said, okay, you want to make God a man? I'm going to step back. I'm going to give you up. Do whatever you want to do. Let's see where that takes you. He gave them up to uncleanliness, to the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Ain't nobody going to help me, and please don't lift your hand. But everybody in the building, how many of you know the moment you wanted to fornicate, God was standing there talking to you internally, but he didn't get into bed and stop you. He just said, okay, I'll give you up to whatever you're desiring right now because you're exchanging the truth of God for a lie. You worship and serve the creator, creature rather than the creator. Verse number 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Can I say to you today, The greatest judgment God can ever do to an individual's life is to turn them over to themselves. You can create hell long before you ever get there. When God turns you over 
to live the consequences of your own will. So I want to suggest to you today that the flood was not the result of a ticked off God. God didn't look at creation and go, you know, these people tick me off. I think I'm going to kill them all. God didn't answer wickedness with violence. He decided that this is where man chooses to go, so I need a representative of me to still be in the earth. <laughs> he said, so while the culture continues to spiral downward, I'm going to find somebody that will believe in righteousness, trust the truth of my word, live according to my principles, and I will begin to use them to recreate the world I intended it to be. How many of you know that God saw that man's lifestyle was going to lead them into absolute destruction and the ruining of the planet? So God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a man. I'm going to put him in an ark. I'm going to put him in a place of safety. And in that place of safety, I'm going to let him ride through the storm. And when the storm's over, he's still going to be here. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen? That ark is none other than Jesus. He said, I'm going to hide people in Christ. And when the storms of life come, it doesn't matter how much the world spins out of control. If you're in Jesus, when the wind quits blowing and the waves quit rolling, you're going to walk out of your boat and you're going to say, I'm still here to bring forth the will of God in the earth the way that he ordained it. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. You said, you mean Jesus is coming? That isn't what he said. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, that's how it's going to be in the day of the redemption of the people of God. When I get ready to redeem the earth, here's what's going to happen. You say, well, no. He took them. No, let me ask you a question. Who was taken? Who was left? Hold on to your seat. Buckle up. It's getting bumpy. Let me tell you who was left. The wickedness was gone. The vile thoughts were gone. The wickedness and evilness of man was gone. But there was still a righteous man who believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. I believe God is about, watch this, in the middle of a pandemic, here's what God's looking for. He's looking for Christians who will not lean to the dark side, believe a lie, fall into fear, let all kinds of unrighteousness overtake them, but they'll hide themselves in Christ so that when the storm is over, there will still be somebody who will say, this is the way of the Lord. Come follow Jesus. Play for me. I'm done. Come on, Ashley. God's presence. Here's the third thing you learn with the grace of God. You'll find out that his presence always reveals his goodness. In every storm, the greatest promise that God can give you is I'm with you. But God, the cancer didn't go away. I know, son, but I'm with you. But I got laid off. I know. I didn't think I'd be single again at this age. I know. I know. But I'm with you. I'm with you. 
Moses said the same thing that Noah did. Moses said, God, if I found favor, if I found grace in your sight, show me your glory. If there's any of your grace that's operating on my life, will you shy show me your glory? I didn't understand this for a long time. I didn't understand it for a long time. And the Bible says God said, okay, I'm going to show you my glory. You need God to show up at your house? He said, I'll show you my glory. Let me show you my glory. It's in Exodus 33. He said, I'm going to take you, Moses, and I'm going to hide you in the cleft. I'm going to put you in a hewed out place in a rock. And I'm going to let my glory, my presence, he calls it both because his presence is his glory. He said, I'm going to let my glory pass by. He said, I'm going to cover it with my hand. But I'm going to let my glory, don't miss this, don't miss this. I'm going to let my glory pass by. How many of you know that rock? New Testament tells us who that rock is. That rock is Jesus. He said, Moses, I'm going to hide you in Christ. And I'm going to let my presence pass by. And watch this. He said, I'm not going to let you see my face. Because nobody can see my face and live. He said, but I'm going to let you see my hind parts. And I always thought, what does that mean? God mooning Moses. What does that mean? That didn't make sense. I'm just telling you, I've read the Bible for many, many years. That didn't make any sense to me. And God said to me one day, he said, Tony, I'm not a, I'm not a man. When you think of my face, you think of two eyes and nose, ears and a mouth. He said, I have face-like characteristics, but I'm a spirit. I don't have hind parts like you do. I just have what's in front of where I'm going, and I have proof of where I've been. and Jesus have a conversation. He said, you don't know where the Spirit is. You just, you just see the trees moving and the leaves blowing. You say, oh, the wind is moving that the Spirit of God's operating here. He said, I, the only thing that exists is where I'm headed and where I've been, the evidence of where I've been. And he said, here, Moses, I want you to see my goodness. Let me show you what my goodness is. My goodness is not because you can't see where you're going. I can. You can't see where I'm going. But what I'm going to show you is I'm going to show you where I've been in your life. When you didn't think you could buy that house and you bought it. You didn't think you could have that job and you had it. You should have died in that car accident, but you didn't. You should have died in an overdose, but you didn't. You should have went under in depression, but you didn't. Your kids should have been crazy, but they weren't. Your marriage should have broke up, but it didn't. Look back, Moses. What do you see? Nothing but my goodness has followed you all the days of your life. So I want you to know something. When my presence goes with you, all you can be guaranteed of is that when you look back on it, God will have been good. It may not be good for the moment, but it will be
will be good for your life because the evidence will be in its place. Come on, everybody, throw your hands in the air. If God has been good to you at all, give him some praise. time you've ever experienced in your life and God's looking for people that know how to find grace some of you have been through years and years of bumpiness already you didn't need a pandemic an election cycle violence in the streets it's already been violence in your house violence in your life 
evil has spun you out of control. The way we are born again is we have to find grace. I found it in Jesus. That's where I found it. I found it in Jesus. If you're watching me today or if you're in this room and your life is out of control, you didn't need a preacher to tell you that. You didn't need me to say, that's horrible, that's bad, you keep that up, it's going to cause you to be more and more ruined. Nobody has to tell you that. You know the path you're on. If you follow it to its end, it's going to be a life of destruction. Well, you can make money, you can have a job, you can acquire assets, but peace has left you. Joy is no longer a part of your life. But you have to find grace. You don't earn grace. You find it. When I couldn't save myself, Jesus saved me. You know, I tried all this stuff. Motivational talks, I'm going to be a success. And I found out that I did certain things that made me successful in various fields of endeavor. But they never gave me that internal confidence that my life was in the place it was supposed to be. It didn't happen until I found grace in Jesus. For some of you in this room, listen. The culture wants to suck you in. It wants to suck you into party preferences, ideologies. It wants to make you fight over race. Be, be angry with people you don't even know. And I'm telling you, church, God's looking for a people who will find grace in this hour and point people to an ark. To an ark. I have enough confidence that God is at work in America. We're not going to hell in a handbasket. But the people of God have got to stand up. Do you realize Moses, I mean Noah preached and nobody believed? You say, well maybe my friends are right. Maybe this is crazy. If he'd have thought that, he would have lost it all. He had to have enough conviction to say, you know what? I don't care what you do. I don't care what you do. I know what I'm going to do. And as for me and my house, we're going to trust God. I'm going to count to three all over this room. Then we're going to leave. If you're here today and you say, Bishop, I don't know Jesus personally. And there's some of you in the room. I want you to throw your hand high in the air. Just say today, I want to make a choice to follow Christ. If you're online today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to Christ today. I want you to find grace. I want you to find the answer for everything that's driving you crazy. That's destroying your life. The wages, that means the, the final payment of sin is death. It's destruction. It's separation from God. of God is eternal life. I want you to find grace today in Him.
I get to three, just raise your hand up wherever you are. Say, Bishop, I need that grace in my life today because I sense I'm spinning out of control. I need God to help me. One, two, three. Hands go up all over this building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Who else? Hold your hand up high wherever you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Father, I pray today over people all over this room who just lifted their hands. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would touch their life. I pray today, Jesus, that you'd minister to them your goodness. Lord, you said it's the goodness of God that leads people to repent. When I see how good you are and how crazy I am, I thank you and I choose you. I choose you. I choose your ways. Lord, today we repent. We follow after Jesus. Ashley's going to help me. Let's pray this prayer out loud. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you're alive today. I believe you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life.